if you, if you have your Bibles with you, you can open to the book of Matthew, chapter 7, so long. Um, but before we get in there, just want to switch my papers around. Just want to uh, fill you in with what we spoke about last week. If you weren't here, we are not in a series at the moment. We are doing a, a couple of ones. They are sermons out of a sermon series. And so last week, what I spoke about was how the Apostle John spoke into and against heresy and false teaching in his day. And that false teaching had people believe that they were saved when they weren't. It had people believe that they weren't saved when they were. And it had some people absolutely confused as to whether you could actually even know whether you're saved or not. And so this week we're going to do something similar. We're going to look at something similar, not exactly the same. We're going to be looking at the words of Jesus. And as we look at the words of Jesus, we're going to see from Jesus what it means to actually be saved, what a saved life looks like, and what the destination of a saved life is. And as I say that, you might go, well, that doesn't really apply to me because I'm a Christian, I'm a church, I know all of this. I want to encourage you that as we get into this, open your heart to the Lord and allow Him to minister to you in ways maybe you don't expect. Because I've learned this one thing in my life, even at my ripe old age of 39, that there is still much that you can learn despite how much you've already learned. And I pray that if you are a Christian in this place, and hopefully that's most of us, that this would encourage you to stay the course. That it would also birth in you and flame into fire in your heart a passion for those who are not on the same road as you. So let this not be seen as a message only for those who are not saved, but a message for all of us. So let's read together Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 to 14. Just two verses this morning. Jesus says in verse 13 of Matthew chapter 7, Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. There are just three sections this morning we're going to unpack these two verses under. The one is the two gates, then the two roads, then the two destinations. We're going to start with the two gates. Jesus speaks about two gates, the narrow and the broad. But we're just going to focus on the narrow gates in this section. And the reason for that is every illustration at some point breaks down. It doesn't matter how good your analogy is, when you're trying to describe the things of the kingdom, your analogy is going to break apart and fall flat at some point. And it's true even of Jesus' analogy of the two gates. Because as Jesus uses this analogy of the two gates... Him saying you need to enter through this one or this one, it gives the impression that somehow we're on this side of the gates and that you're yet to make a decision as to whether you're going to walk through the broad gates or the narrow one. The reality is, Scripture says to us, every single one of us is born sinful. We inherit sin. You don't have to do anything sinful. David writes, says, from birth I am sinful. And so you are already on the broad road. Every single one of us is destined towards destruction apart from the gracious work of Jesus Christ in our life. And so in a sense, there really is only one gate for us to walk through. We're already through the broad gate. We're already on the broad road. And at some point we encounter Jesus and we make a decision to follow him. And so in this illustration of the gates, really Jesus is trying to make this point that at some point in your life you need to respond to the message of salvation. Because in reality, you're already on the broad road, and the broad gate is behind you, and your life is going. And the reality is this, the truth is this, that unless we obey His commands, 
to enter through the narrow gates, the road that you're on does and will lead to destruction. Therefore, the real question is, how does one get off of the broad road that ends in destruction and enter through the narrow gate? The first part of the answer to that is we need to know the narrow gate and we need to know what the narrow gate looks like and more specifically, we need to know who the narrow gate is because in the analogy, Jesus is speaking about himself. He is the gate. He is the way. And it is only through him that we get off of the broad road into the narrow one. Jesus said of himself in John chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In Acts chapter 4, 11 to 12, Peter says, Jesus is a stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Jesus is the gate. He is the way. There is no other way. But as we travel on the broad road, Many of us, as we live lives without Jesus, I can relate to this. You're on the broad road and there are many signs promising you great detours, scenic routes, promises of fulfillment, promises of life, satisfaction, purpose. And as you take those detours off the broad road, the road that you've detoured onto is just as broad. It leads only to a cul-de-sac and you find yourself backtracking to get back onto the road that you're on, finding little of what the sign promised you would find. Every single sign on the broad road is deceptive unless it is Jesus pointing the way. All of them lead off to some detour that promises some satisfaction but never really results in what you expected to get. So we need to know what Jesus looks like. We need to know what his words are and what he is saying to us, when he's saying it to us. And God has given us his word He's made it very clear what salvation looks like and who he is and the fact that you are saved through him and him alone. Secondly, there's another conclusion we can make as we look at verse 13. Jesus says you need to enter the narrow gate. It might seem a bit obvious and and not make sense, but it's an imperative command. there's, There's something we need to do. In other words, salvation doesn't just happen by osmosis. But salvation is a deliberate decision on God's part to save us and on our part to respond to his grace and his mercy as he reveals himself to us. In other words, you don't just get saved by accident. You don't just happen to fall through the narrow gate. You don't just wake up one day off the broad road on the narrow path loving Jesus. There's a moment in our lives where on the broad road we encounter the living God and he says to us, it's this way to exit, walk through. I've just come from uh, a, a great time in the Eastern Cape with my family. I love road tripping. Part of going on holiday is road tripping, and it's just lacquer to stop at some of those farm stalls along the way. But often I'll be driving and we drive past a farm stall, and I think next time I want to be next time I'll go there. Right? And it's just lack of farm stalls where you get the best jam. In fact, you know it's great because it says confait. Right? It doesn't say jam. Arbe confait, and you just know this is the stuff you need to buy and cook sisters and all that stuff. But there have been times, and this was one of them, where I was journeying back to the Eastern Cape with um, my two oldest, David and Abigail, and I drove past a farm stall that I'd made up in my mind I was going to stop at because last time we passed it, and I got past um, all the hustle and bustle of the really popular spots, and when we got to this place, it was closed. It didn't exist anymore. Right? 
And I made choices not to stop there in previous journeys back up to the Eastern Cape. And this time when I decided to stop, it wasn't there. I think so often people are encountered with, they, they have an encounter with Jesus and they think to themselves, next time, next time, next time. But there comes a time where that gate no longer exists for you. And Jesus is saying, every opportunity I give you is an opportunity for you to enter into life. Off of the broad road, on to the narrow. But it has to be a decision you make. There has to be a responding to the call of Jesus. I think we live in a day and an age uh, and in a culture where people love to study the narrow gate. You know that you can get secular biblical scholars. In other words, people who study the Bible just to study it. They don't believe in God. They don't believe in salvation. They don't believe they're actually atheists. They're secular, but they study the scriptures. There are people who admire the structure of the narrow gate. They admire Jesus. They admire his lifestyle. They believe he was a historical person, but they don't believe that he is who he claims to be. They admire the wisdom of the gospel and the fruit that it can produce in your life if you live by it, but they're not living by it because they're following the king. They just want the fruits that it can sometimes bear in your life because wisdom is wisdom. Wisdom is wisdom for the foolish and for the wise, and if the foolish apply it, you reap the fruit of wisdom. They even admire the ethics of Jesus, the virtues of Jesus, and a lot of other things about him, but they choose not to respond. They just keep driving past the off-ramp that says, this way to life. So Jesus warned against this. He said there's no such thing as fence-sitting in this world and in relationship with him. And the sad reality is, hell is going to be filled with people who are fence-sitters, who thought that the broad road was great and that at some point they were going to take a detour onto the narrow road, but never really got the opportunity when Jesus presented himself and the opportunity was to there to change their life and to experience life with the king, they decided to carry on driving. Another thing that we see is that this gate that Jesus is speaking about to life is narrow. We might ask ourselves, why is the gate narrow? If the Lord loves us and he wants people to be saved, why is it narrow? Why is it not broad? Why is it not like the broad road? Surely, if it was broad and wide, more people would find it. Why is it narrow and not many people find it? Well, it's not narrow in the sense that it can't be found. It's narrow in the sense that it's not the same as the ungodly lifestyle. It's not the same as the broad lifestyle. It's narrow in the sense that only one person can walk through at a time. And what I mean by that is, it is individual salvation that counts. It's this idea that Jesus gives with this language is that of a turnstile. Where, where only one person goes through at a time and there's no group salvation. There's no ethnically based salvation. There's no salvation as a result of your heritage or your family history. There's no salvation because your mom and your dad are saved or because your uncle and your aunt or because your siblings or because your sons and daughters or because your grandparents were saved. There's no salvation based on relationship with someone who knows Jesus. It's narrow in that sense. I was having a conversation with one of my family members who lives somewhere else, and they they came. They may be watching, so I don't want to be too specific. But they came to visit my family and I, and we were having a walk together. And I was trying to minister to them because they don't know the Lord, and I was sharing what God has been doing in my life, in my family's life, and after this long conversation, which they were very interested in, and weren't like overtly objecting to, the response from my family member was, wow, that's great. I'm so glad that you have enough faith for both of us. And you know what? 
you can just speak to God on my behalf. And like, I'm convinced that because you love Jesus so much, I'm going to be able to ride in basically on your coattails. And I was like, that just doesn't happen. And so salvation and the gate into salvation, the gate onto narrow path is narrow in that sense. Each person has to individually enter in. It needs to be a conscious decision on your part to repent of your sin, to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, and to say, Lord, this is what I want. Enough of this road and onto yours. And the road is broad. The road to destruction is broad. And it's broad because there's lots of stuff to do there. There's lots of room for error. We're going to get there just now, though. But 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. Jesus says there is, Paul writes, there is one God, one mediator, also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. There is no other mediator, no other savior, no other way. No Christ, no salvation, no Jesus, no heaven. And in that sense as well, this gate is narrow. There's a narrow gate. But then Jesus speaks about the two paths, and he contrasts, in the same way that he contrasts broad and wide gates versus this narrow gate, he contrasts the two paths that exist on the other side of those gates, the broad road and the narrow one. In the text this morning, he says, broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. If you were using modern terminology, instead of saying a broad road, you'd say something like a a broad lifestyle versus a narrow lifestyle or a godly lifestyle versus an ungodly lifestyle. When Jesus is speaking about the broad road, he calls it the broad road because it means spacious. The idea is that there's there's incredible space. And the idea that Jesus is trying to convey is that it's a way that's wide open. And you have a false perspective and perception on how good of a driver you are on a wide road, right, doing 140 kilometers an hour, versus if you are on a very narrow single lane road with cliffs on either edge. All of a sudden, you question how fast you're driving and whether you're good enough to actually be driving on this road. On a wide road, there's lots of room for error. You can bring a lot of stuff. There can be chaos on a wide road and it not really seem that dangerous because there's lots of space to maneuver. And so there's this false sense of security. You can pretty much do anything you like. It's like the Autobahn in Germany. If you've seen some videos and footage of that, it's, it's absolutely incredible. There's people doing 160 kilometers an hour and guys pass them in Ferraris and on motorbikes and make them look like they're going in reverse. There's no speed limits. On the broad road, if you think about it as a broad lifestyle, as an ungodly lifestyle, there's room for all your baggage. You can do whatever you want. You can make up the rules. There's no real lanes or lines for you to abide by. There's no speed limit. You can take all your self-righteousness and your pride and your sinfulness and your baggage, your character flaws with you, and there's space for all of it. And it seems roomy. There's much more room for immorality and godlessness because there's no speed bumps, no lanes, no gutters, no pavements or boundaries or restriction from God's word, no need to be like Jesus. It's an easy way because you make it up as you go. You become your own traffic cop on the broad roads. It allows you to indulge yourself. And that's why many people find it, and that's why many people stay on it. It's attractive. It's easygoing. It's paved smoothly. But Jesus says, in the end, this way leads to death. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 25, it says, There is a way which seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to destruction. See, we can have a false sense of security about the road that we're on. 
when I am um, back in the day, it wasn't this time, I would often take trips up into the Trans Sky with my family. And I was traveling with my dad once. We were, going, we were going up to Natal, and he decided he was going to take a shortcut, and we were going to bypass one of the towns. And it looked, it looked great. The road was beautiful. It was well-tarred. It was scenic drive. And we thought that this road took us all the way through to where we needed to be. Little did we know, we had 100 k's to go, and 50 kilometers in the road just abruptly ended and became tar, I mean gravel, like horrendous gravel road. So now we had the choice to backtrack 50 kilometers and then do another 100 kilometers this way around, or we carry on on the 50 or 60 kilometers of gravel that lay ahead of us. We had the intention of staying on tar. We thought it was tar. We took the detour and ended up on gravel. And I think a lot of people believe that their lives are going to be paved all the way to the end and somehow get to this beautiful destination. And Jesus says the broad road is dangerous because it leads to destruction, regardless of how good it looks now. And some people come to the end of their lives and they've lived on the broad road and they've met with an abrupt end and what lies before them is destruction. Then Jesus speaks about the narrow way. He says, this is the broad way. This, however, is the narrow way. It's, it's a life lived according to the standards of God. It's a life lived where we bring our desires and our self-righteousness and our selfishness and we hand it over to Jesus and we deny ourselves. When Jesus uses the word narrow, it, it, it really it refers to a grape press. You're supposed to get this idea of a grape press and the word literally means the pressed way. So when Jesus says enter through the narrow gate and enter onto the narrow path, it's the pressed way. The confined way. The constricted way. The good image would be of a very, very narrow path where you have got mountain faces on either side of you, cliff faces on either side of you, and you have to go single file. And, and, and even at the widest parts, if you're walking straight, your shoulders are rubbing up against the cliff face. And it's winding. And at some stages, you have to turn sideways to get through. This narrow way is the opposite of the broad way, where you'll find no space for your self-righteousness, for your pride, for your ego, for your sin. You can't take your old master with you. And the only way that you can look really, if you're going to make any progress, is forward to Jesus who's leading you along this path. You see, Scripture says we keep our eyes fixed on the author and perfecter of our faith. And so as we navigate in this path, the broad road, you, you can do 360s and donuts if you want to, and you can chop and change direction because there's room for it. But on the narrow path, there's one direction, and it's in the direction Jesus is leading. And if you don't keep your eyes fixed and focused on him, you get yourself stuck. Jesus is leading, and he's guiding us. And as we are walking this narrow road, so things are getting chafed off of us and stripped off of us, and we're getting to have to question what we're carrying and why we're bringing along and does this really fit? You can't be piggybacking anybody along either because there's just no space for them on your back. It's you and the Lord and this road that's refining. On the narrow path, we no longer make the rules. We no longer say what goes, but Jesus does. I was sharing with the 8 o'clock, the narrow road is like cave diving. So, this is something you might not know about me. I qualified as an open water, an advanced open water diver. It was one of the most exciting things I've done with my life, and I still enjoy diving. 
but when you go and you dive, there are specific rules that you have to follow in order to keep yourself safe. And I subscribe to a channel called Dive Talk on YouTube where these um, rebreather divers are specialist cave divers and they talk about their diving experiences and stupid mistakes people have made trying to cave dive. And they, they emphasize all the time when there's an accident that's happened that most of the time an accident happens in cave diving is because people have disobeyed one of the five fundamental laws and rules of cave diving. Right? If you disobey one of them, chances are you're going to die. There have been times where people have disobeyed all five or three, or two, and they've ended up dead most times. And there's reasons why when you go cave diving or diving or do any extreme sport that there are rules attached to them because they keep you safe. But the narrow road is like that. Jesus sets the rules. He knows how to keep you safe. He knows what you need and what you don't need. And the narrow road is about being obedient to him and being refined by him so that you can reach the destination he wants you to reach. And although it's narrow and filled with a whole bunch of shaping and molding and chiseling and chafing as the old self gets pulled off. It's also a road filled with blessing and filled with joy. But it is a difficult road, and that's why many people avoid it. It's a difficult road because our sinful natures want to avoid the constraints and the confines of the narrow road. We tend to feel claustrophobic. We feel like we want to be the masters of our own lives. And there's freedom on the broad road to do what we want. Our sinful nature is trying to avoid the confines of the narrow path because it's too tight. And we don't get to bring along what we want to bring along. This is just a side note. It's because of this that if you ever hear anybody tell you that the Christian life is easy, you know that they haven't actually really lived it. And they're lying to you. The Christian life is not meant to be an easy life. Jesus never promised that it would be. He said it would be a life where you have to deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow him. It will be a life where you're refined and chiseled and shaped into the likeness of Christ. It's a life where you'll get persecuted and mocked and teased for what you've done and what you're doing. It will be a life that is actually quite difficult to live in this world because you're holy and set apart and you don't look like the world looks. And people see you walking on foot on this twisty, narrow path, and they're in their fancy cars on the broad road, speeding past you, getting to do what they want. And sometimes that life can look attractive again because they they seem to be unhindered. And you wonder why you're stubbing your toe on the rocks and scraping your shoulders on the cliff walls. But at the end of the day, where that road leads, that they're on, doesn't in any way make the journey worth it. But where you're going... When you walk on the narrow path, no matter how difficult the narrow path has been to walk on, the destination, the destination destroys anything you've ever had to deal with on that path. But it's worth it. Jesus didn't say, church, like me, consider me, admire me. Jesus in his word says, love me and follow me. Be obedient to me. And the destination of the narrow path makes the journey on the narrow path a beautiful one, regardless of how hard it may be. Which is what we're going to end off with this morning. Just the two destinations that Jesus speaks about. We've got the narrow gate the broad gate, the narrow path and the broad path. And then he says this, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. The broad road leads to destruction. Jesus says the narrow way leads to life. Just look at the destination of the broad roads. What does Jesus mean by destruction? 
after the 8 p.m., after 8 p.m., 8 a.m., I shared this message. A lot of people came and were like, oh, that's so encouraging. You're so brave to preach this. You're so bold. And, and, and in all honesty, I don't really feel like it re- requires courage and boldness to share what Jesus has shared. I, I'm just sharing what Scripture teaches. And if we love Jesus, we know this to be true. And if you don't, you need to know that this is not what I say. This is what Jesus has said. I'm just sharing with you God's heart. It's actually quite easy, but at the same time very sad and difficult in a sense because you know how it's going to make some people feel, and there's going to be a knee-jerk reaction to the reality that you are probably going to end up in hell if you don't know Jesus. Jesus said that the broad road ends in destruction. What does he mean by destruction? He does not mean annihilation. There's this theory and this theology and this belief out there that to not be with Jesus and to go to hell means total destruction. As in, you're going to be destroyed, you cease to exist, you're gone, you know nothing about it, you're just, it's darkness. As if you've fallen asleep with no dream and that's what your eternity is going to be like. God's word does not speak about annihilation. God's word speaks about destruction in the sense that you're going to be absolutely ruined and there's absolute and total loss that you experience. Every person who follows the Broadway will eventually find themselves in hell. And hell is a place that is real. Church, I want to say this to us. It seems weird to speak it out and to have to try and convince ourselves sometimes that it is. But I think to comfort our own hearts and emotions because we know and and, and really are close to loved ones who don't know Jesus, we have ourselves believe that it's going to be okay and that somehow they're going to by default end up in heaven or hell's really not going to be that bad. Hell is a very real place that exists that many people are going to find themselves in. And God's word says that it's a place of unquenchable fire. It is a place of memory and remorse. You're going to know why you're there. You're going to remember every opportunity you had to get off the broad road. And you are going to be remorseful in ways that you've never experienced before. You're going to be unsatisfied. There's going to be unsatisfied thirst. There's going to be frustration and anger and malice and pain and misery and ultimately eternal separation from God. There's going to also be undiluted wrath for eternity in hell. That is a place that's real. That's where if you travel on the broad road to the end of your life, you're going to end up at that destination. It's a place from which there will never, ever be deliverance. But then Jesus says, there's another destination. And it's called life. It's called eternity with him. The narrow road leads there. This road doesn't end in hell like the broad one, but in heaven above. And Jesus promised that whoever followed him and walked this road would find themselves in that destination where they experience the total opposite of what the broad road eventually leads to. If hell is a place of horror and pain, then heaven is a place of peace and joy and beauty and unmistakable glory. Unspeakable glory. Everything that hell is, heaven isn't. Heaven is a place where there's no tears, pain, sorrow, death, no sin, no night, no curse. We're with God in His presence forever. It's a glorious city. The glory is beyond description. There'll be feasting and partying and joy and worship and just an incredible time. 
experiencing stuff that even the best moments in this life could never come close to. But the reality is the narrow road is costly. Jesus is going to be a stumbling block for people. Jesus, he said, I'm going to divide families, not because he wants to, but because some are going to choose to follow me and others are not, and we're going to part ways because our fundamental worldviews are different. I'm going to live for things that you don't if I'm a Christian and you're not. Down here, the narrow road may result in higher personal cost, but at the end of the day, the investment in your eternity as you follow Jesus is the best investment you could ever make. But some people still believe that the broad road is the best. So what if we walk out of step down here? So what if we're misunderstood? So what if the world thinks that some things we do are ridiculous and shameful and embarrassing? And we get to heaven one day, the trials of this road will seem like nothing. The past is behind us. The glory of eternity is in front of us. Jesus is unfolding before us. The journey is over and we've come home. That's the beauty of the narrow road. And this morning I want to say that as a Christian, you need to be encouraged to have a heart for those who are not on the path you're on. We cannot be quiet about this road. You cannot be selfish about the path that you're on. I've been hiking with some friends before. We did the Vit Elsa, invited me along, and it was an incredible journey. It was beautiful, and would love to do it again. Um, and it's something I haven't been able to be quiet about. It's, it's, it's a type of thing you take photos of and you tell people about because it's just so beautiful. It feels selfish to be quiet about it. Likewise with our faith. When you're experiencing something so life-transforming and so beautiful, and you know the destination is far more beautiful than anything you've experienced on the way, you can't keep quiet about that. We need to have our hearts stirred up for people who aren't on this path. And if you are on the broad road, I want to say to you, Jesus has offered you opportunity after opportunity, and he will continue to offer you opportunity after opportunity to get off the broad road and enter onto a road that leads to life. But it's not going to be easy. However, he did promise he'd be with you every single step of the way. And so this morning, I just want to call the worship team up. We're going to end with some worship. And then just one confession and, and real like, challenge from my side. This morning, if God has been speaking to you, I, I pray that you would respond. If, if you don't know him, that you would respond to the invite to live life his way, although it is difficult here. I want to pray that you would respond to the opportunity to experience life and relationship with him, although it's refining and chiseling and challenging. And to not allow yourself to believe or the enemy to lie to you that if you don't respond this morning, you'll have more opportunity at some other point in your life. This really hectic thing uh, happened to me and I was a part of um, a couple of years ago, four or five years ago, Mandy's mother passed away, my wife's mom passed away. And we went to East London to, to the funeral and to go be with family. And, and I was honored to be asked to take the funeral. And so I preached a very real gospel message calling people, because a lot of people there weren't saved, calling them to repentance. And after the ceremony and after the funeral, we went back to a family home. And one of the ladies there who was connected with the family and was a good family friend, didn't know Jesus at all. She was very much on the broad road. Her and I were sitting and having coffee while the family had gone to just have a bit of alone time, the immediate family. Her and I were sitting and having a cup of coffee, and she said to me, I would really like to talk to you about what you shared 
today, and I, I would really like to talk to you about Jesus. I, I'm, I'm not in a good place with him. And my response to her, I was tired. It was, I was, it was, it was an emotional space. I knew that the family were coming back, and I didn't want to be in this deep conversation with her at that moment. So I said, you know what? We're coming back here tomorrow for a bra. Why don't we chat then? And so I left it and put it off. It made a promise and a commitment to get back into the conversation. And the next day we didn't go back. I didn't get to see her again. And we returned to Cape Town and a month later she passed away. She had a heart attack. And it's been one of those things that has stuck with me to this day. A real deep heart sore from my part, on my part, because I turned away an opportunity to minister to somebody and to capitalize on what God was doing. And I don't know what I'm going to say to Jesus and what he's going to say to me one day when I stand before him, but I know that I'm accountable for that moment. And I know that she is as well. And it grieves me to this day, and it's one of those things that I've got to ask God for forgiveness for over and over again, and I'm dealing with it, right? But the reality is that woman is in hell. And I didn't take an opportunity to speak it out, life to her. The reality is you and I are going to be presented with opportunities to tell people about Jesus, and we need to take them. But also, if you're in her seat, in her position, the reality is God is working in your heart to cause you to ask questions about him, and you better take that opportunity when it comes, because he is the way, the truth, and the life. Life without him is not life at all. Don't miss that opportunity. Don't drive past that farm store. Don't miss the gate. Don't think tomorrow I will have more time. Right? Jesus holds the keys to life and death. Today your life might end tomorrow or the next day. On my road trip to East London, there were many accidents that we'd seen. It, was, it wasn't the best road trip. We saw quite a few accidents and realized that many people didn't get to their intended destination. There were hundreds of people who died over the holiday season who intended to get somewhere and get back, and they never even got there or got back home. Everybody leaves thinking, I'm going to get there and get back. Everybody will leave here today thinking, I've got many years still to live. And I'll make a decision for Jesus at some other point. Don't do that. Let's pray together. Jesus, although your word can really be hard-hitting at times, your word says that we will know the truth and the truth will set us free. Lord, I pray for those of us who know you, that we'd fan into flame a passion for those who don't know you, we would be unashamed of the gospel, that we would be overtly open to conversation about you, that we would speak your name from the rooftops, that your praise would forever be on our lips. We sing that song, it's your breath in our lungs. God, may we not take that for granted or in any way treat our life with you with contempt, as if we deserve it, as if it's ours, as if it's ours to squander. God, may we be convicted to bring all the time into every situation the name of Jesus and the life you promise. And for those in this room who don't know you, may today be the day where they walk into life, onto the narrow path, where they get out the car and get onto foot and follow you. I pray for that in Jesus' name. May there be salvation this morning. And for those of you who feel that God has been speaking to you, you might not recognize that as God speaking to you, but your heart is pounding and you know that in some way this message was for you. It's as if I've read your mind, as if your life has been laid bare before me and I've just called things out. I want to say to you, that's the Lord at work, not me. And tonight or this morning, I pray that you would respond. And at the end, you can come up and just, I will be here, Brad will be here, some other people want to pray for you. If you're uncomfortable coming to me, then to somebody else that you know who's a Christian. If you don't know anybody else, come to myself. Or Brad.
We want to lead you into a place where you know Jesus. May that happen this morning, Holy Spirit. As we end off in worship, God, may you be glorified. May you be honored. May we be a community of believers who hunger and thirst for the living God. Amen.